This past spring, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to a church planting conference in Europe and had that opportunity to go encourage church planters uh, who are spreading the gospel throughout Europe. And it was an amazing trip for us. Um, At the end of that conference time, we had the chance to go down to London and spend a few days. And we actually also had the opportunity to take the Eurostar under the English Channel and go to Paris. And that was quite an ordeal, especially because neither one of us speak French. And so that was real fun, navigating through Paris, uh, not understanding the language. And one of the things we wanted to do in Paris, we, we said, we want to go to a French restaurant, like traditional, like real French restaurant. And so in Paris, there's these little restaurants, like uh, there's three or four on every street. I mean, it's just so many of these little restaurants. And we found this cute little one. And uh, I was like, let's have dinner here. Now, the thing with these restaurants is they're very quaint. They're very quiet. They're very intimate. Um, And if you know anything about me, I'm I'm not really quiet. I'm not very quaint. So we walk into this restaurant. I'm like, this is going to be wonderful. It's our French meal. And uh, the the owner-operator guy says, he says, bonjour. And it's me being loud and, and as gregarious as I can be. I say, au revoir. Okay, if you don't speak French, that's not the right word. That means goodbye. So I walked in first off with the wrong word. And he kind of mutters something under his breath in French and says, all right, this way, you know. Uh, he's probably saying, my poor wife, you know, she's got to be married to me. And so we go in and he gives us a menu. And I'm looking at the menu and I'm thinking like, you know, I'm thinking like McDonald's. You know, I'm like, all right, I want one of these. I want one of these. I want one of these. And, and I'm looking at this menu and I'm like, can I order this and this and this? He goes, no, 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 no. You have to order just this. Like, you have to order here. And I'm like, but I want, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I ordered my meal, and, and it was great. We, we enjoyed it. It was trying some new foods for us, and so it was fun. And we get to the end of our dinner, and we're kind of, we're done eating, and we're just kind of sitting there. And we're like, all right, this is good, you know? And, and we're, we're watching people, and uh, we're waiting and waiting. And, and there's no ticket brought to us, and we're waiting and waiting. And, have, you know, half hour goes by. We're done eating. And we're like, where's our check? So finally, finally... I call the guy over and he's like, are you going to bring me my check? And he goes, that's not how we do it in France. We don't just come and, and bring it to you. It's a little different culture. And, you know, as we had the opportunity to, to go to Europe and, and we learned a lot, we learned a lot about France. One of the things we realized is, is we just didn't fit in. Like we were foreigners. We were outsiders in this place. And it was, it was a great experience, but we really did feel like we were outsiders. And I think about this, I think about most of us, as we try to live our Christian life, like we understand, like we're, we're trying to live our Christian life the way that God has called us to live. Sometimes have you ever notice how you just don't fit in? Like you're trying to live the Christian life and, and, and it just, it seems like our culture doesn't accept the way that Christians are called to live because of what Jesus says and what the Bible says. And so, you know, for example, the Bible says that there is one way to God, and that is through the man, Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. The only way to eternity is through Jesus. But our culture has a problem with that. They say that's too narrow-minded. They say there can't just be one way. As long as you are sincere about whatever you believe, that's good enough. And so our culture says, no, even your foundational idea is wrong. So they make laws that go against us. They, people say that what we believe is whack. And what I found is if we try and live a genuine Christian life, we don't fit into mainstream uh, the world around us. We're in in the margins at best. We're we're marginalized in our Christian faith. And this is where when when you're going through life and it seems like things aren't going well for you. Maybe it's because it's supposed to be like that. 
Maybe because we're not supposed to fit in to the ways of the world. We're not supposed to fit in to the way that everybody else lives. Maybe that's why things aren't going the way that we think they should. Kind of just like when my wife and I were in Paris. We are foreigners here. We studied Philippians uh, last year. And Philippians 3.20, if you remember what Philippians 3.20 says, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. Means as Christians, our primary allegiance, our, our source of belonging isn't from this world. Our, our primary allegiance, our citizenship is in eternity in heaven with God. We don't belong in this world. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about kind of our theme that we've been talking through this year. We haven't really set a theme for the year, but kind of where we've gone. Remember at the beginning of the year, we had the opportunity to look at Daniel and look at the life of Daniel, about how we stand out for our faith. We had the opportunity to deal with our neighboring series. How do you love your neighbors? How do you, how do you reach out to the people around you? Um, last four weeks, we've had the opportunity to deal with our identity. We looked at Psalm 139 about how our identity does not come from the world, but our identity comes from God. And when we understand where our identity comes from, there's a confidence that comes from that. So kind of continuing this idea, I guess you could say the theme for this year could be something like uh, encouragement to live out our faith. And so kind of continuing this idea, uh, we're going to take a, a look at the book of First Peter. First Peter. If you want to if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible. First uh, Peter is in the second half of your Bible. Uh, all the words, all, all the Bible will read the verses, they'll be on the screen as well. But if you have a phone or a Bible, to find it, you might open to uh, the end of your Bible and just move a few pages to the left and you should be able to find First Peter. First Peter was written in 62 or 63 A.D. And it's important to understand the context because at that point, Christianity was being marginalized. Again, Christianity wasn't part of the mainstream society. Um, in fact, there was some persecution that had begun arising in that day. There was a leader in the church by the name of Paul. We know that Paul, at this point, 62, 63 AD, Paul was arrested and facing a death sentence for being a Christian, for being a, 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 a pastor, a, a, a public Christian. And so we understand that there was, some, there was some persecution that had arose. It wasn't extreme yet. Because we know 64 AD, the Emperor Nero, some of you know the story, there's a fire that spreads out across Rome. Some say Nero started the fire, but Nero decides, hey, I'm going to blame the Christians. So he blames the Christians and creates all, these, all this persecution for the Christians. In fact, Nero is known to have taken Christians and dipped them in tar and, and impaled them on poles and lit them and used them as, as lights for his parties that we'd ha he would have at night. So persecution was coming, and Peter understood this. Peter says, I'm looking, and I'm seeing Christianity marginalized. I know that there's a greater persecution coming. It almost kind of seems like our day today, right? Or maybe Christianity is a little bit marginalized. It's not accepted in the mainstream. And if we understand our culture with where our culture is going, I think there's a greater persecution in front of us. I think that what we're experiencing now I mean, it's persecution, but I think there's a greater persecution in front of us. And so knowing this, Peter writes this, this book, First Peter, almost to describe the conduct that would bring honor to the one that the Christians represented. Kind of like a, a, a handbook for ambassadors in a hostile world. In fact, you could say the purpose of, of this book would be found in First Peter chapter 5, verse 12. And you could summarize to say uh, that Peter wrote this to encourage Christians to face persecution so that the true grace of Jesus would be evidence in them. 
Peter was writing to Christians to be willing to face that persecution so that the true grace of God would be evidenced through them. And I think that's the same message that we can hear today. So if you have a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm only going to look at two verses today. We're going to spend a a good amount of time looking at the two verses as a foundational text for us um, through this book. So if you are there, if you would stand with me. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Again, you can follow along on the screen or on your phone, or if you brought your uh, desktop computer, you can set that up as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here today that we can open up your word. God, I pray that you help us to understand that, God, we're here to hear your word. We're not here to hear a pastor give us opinion on the best way to live. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, your word uh, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's there for our encouragement, for our rebuke, for our correction. And God, I pray that you would allow your word to do that today. That you would draw us into a deeper relationship with you today, through your word today. We love you and praise you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Good, and have a seat. So in this beginning message in the book of First Peter, in this study... Um, it's going to really become a foundation for us. And so what we're going to do is, is we're going to find several theological terms, several religious terms. And we're going to help to understand those religious terms because they'll give us a greater understanding for this book and for Peter and, and why he wrote this book. So uh, he starts out and, and, and he's going to give a signature. Now, you ever, you ever write a letter? Typically, you write the letter and you say, Dear Adam, blah, 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 love, Alex. Okay. We're just saying that. They're getting married, so they can say that. But in the Bible days, things were different. You started your letter by saying, uh, from so-and-so. So you started your letter by identifying who you are. And that's what, that's what happens uh, here in First Peter. The text starts out and says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the word apostle is one of those theological terms, religious terms. I want us to stop for a second and understand what that means. An apostle simply means one who is sent. It is a messenger. It is an ambassador, okay? Uh, You can put that in your Bible so next time you see that word, you understand what it means. Now, Jesus, he had 12 apostles when he was on the earth. I, I've got one apostle. He's 15 years old. His name is Cameron, okay? And here's what happens is, is, is I'm in the house and all the kids are outside and they say, Cameron, my apostle, my apostle. Go outside and tell your brothers and sisters it's time to come in and brush your teeth and get ready for bed. Go, my little apostle. And he goes and he tells his siblings, come inside. Now, his siblings aren't going to listen just because Cameron says it's time to come inside and brush your teeth and, and get ready for bed. He, it, the, the, the power to his message comes because he was sent by dad. Because dad said, through me, I want you to go and I want you to do this. And this is essentially what an apostle is. It is sent by somebody else. They carry a message and the authority of that message comes from the one that they are sent. Now, uh, there are two types of apostles you'll see. Uh, The first type of apostle was specifically referring to Jesus as 12 disciples or 12 apostles. 
These guys were the foundation to the early church. We understand the early church that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, but these 12 apostles, Jesus' disciples, they were uh, very unique for this specific purpose, to help build the foundation for the church. Qualifications were to be a witness like this, to be a, excuse me, the qualifications to be an apostle like this was, number one, you had to um, witness the resurrection. Number two, you had to be explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. And number three, you have to have the ability to perform signs and wonders. And you can read through the book of Acts. You can see the 12 apostles. They had the ability to do these sorts of things. These, these types of apostles are not present today. Because again, the foundation of the church is set. 2,000 years later, we're not building the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is set. So, so those types of apostles don't exist today. But there is a second type of apostle that exists today. And that is a, a generic refer, generically referring to those who are sent messengers or ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So I'm thinking about Emily Roth. Emily Roth, we are one of the churches that are sending her out to go to Spain to preach the gospel. She's an ambassador. That's what she is. She's an apostle. She's taking the message of God to uh, a lost people, to people who don't know who Jesus is. She's an apostle. She is one sent. Simply what it means. Peter we understand Peter says, I'm an apostle. What we understand about Peter, you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Peter had more contact with Jesus than anybody else. Peter had more conversations. Peter had more success, more intimacy with Jesus than anyone else. You can read through the, the Bible. And, and every time you see the, the 12 disciples named, guess whose name is first? Peter. In fact, as you read through those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Nobody's name is mentioned more in those books other than Peter, except for Jesus. In fact, there are more speaking parts in, the, in those books and those gospels by Peter than anybody else except for Jesus. So we understand Peter, he's seen a lot. Like he's been around the block. Like all those parts of your Bible that are in red, like he was there for those. So he has a good understanding and that gives him authority to write this book to you and I and to uh, the church in general. And he says, who is he writing to? Okay, we understand. Here's, the, here, here's who it's from. It's from Peter. Who's he writing to? And this is what he says. He says, he says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect. That term elect is another one of those religious terms, theological terms. You say, well, who are the elect? And I would say the elect are the people who show up to church on Memorial Day weekend. Look around. Feel self-righteous right now. See what we did there? There we go. Anybody? Give me something on there. Okay. Anyways. To be elect means to be chosen. It means that you are chosen. It means that you are adopted. Again, Peter's writing in, in a culture where your family status was very important. Like, like your, the status of your family meant that's where you were. You couldn't move up in society. You couldn't really move down in society. It's very hard to go up or down. So your family status was super significant. And, and what Peter is doing, again, Peter, the guy who was with Jesus all the time, he's flipping things completely upside down. He's saying, no, it's not like that. He's saying, you have the, as a Christian, you are adopted. You are, are elected, you are chosen to become a part of the family of God. There's nothing higher than being a part of the family of God. He says, to those who are elected exiles of the dispersion of Pontius, uh, 
Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He says, the term I want you to see is exiles of dispersion. See, he's writing and saying, you guys are Christians and you are exiles of the dispersion. Now, now the Jews in Peter's age, they would have understand what he means here. Because there was a time when, when Israel was God's chosen people. Right? God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a, a family and you're going to be my chosen people. You are the elect. You are my special people. And, and that was great for a season. Until Israel started to take it for granted. Until they kind of became like a spoiled brat. They started uh, taking advantage of the good life and assuming, hey, we get the good life because we're God's chosen people. And so as that happened, their affections for God began to wane. And sin began to reign in their life and, and their hearts turned away from God. And in response to that, the result was they were carried off into exile. God sent uh, Babylon uh, in 603 to 587 BC. We understood this when, with Daniel. God sent uh, other nations to come and take God's people out of God's holy land and disperse them throughout the region. They were dispersed away from the place that God had given them. You could say, well, where's this place at? This place would be modern-day Turkey. If we look at a map, these, 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 these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, this is modern-day Turkey. So here's this idea. You've got these, these believers, God's chosen people who are exiled, who are away from, from where God has placed them. And it almost kind of connects to our day and age today in the same way. Because we understand as Christians, again, we're not dispersed by, by sin like, like Israel was. But we are not in the place that God has created us to be. We are citizens of heaven. That is where our citizenship reigns. Yet here we are on the, scattered throughout the world. And so we, modern day as Christians, we are elect exiles that are dispersed throughout the world. And this is how we fit into this story. Is Peter's writing this book specifically for us as well, that we can understand how are we to live as exiles, as Christian exiles in a lost world. Help us to understand, God, how we're supposed to do this. This is why we don't fit into our society around us. This is, this, is, this is why we feel out of place, because we are strangers here. We are exiles. This isn't our permanent residence. Don't make the world too homey. We should be living, anticipating uh, of a better place, of returning to, to, God with, to God in heaven. In fact, some people say, man, I want to make this heaven. We're not called to make this heaven. The church becomes a taste of heaven. It becomes a picture of heaven. But this is not it. We are waiting for something greater. And when Jesus returns, he will take us there. And we will be with him in eternity. And so here's Peter. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. Here, here who I am. I'm Peter. I'm writing to the elect exiles. And he continues this a little further in verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, you see one of those theological terms, foreknowledge. What does that word mean? What, it sounds kind of weird. That word is often tied with the word predestination. And it basically means that, that God chooses. Basically means that God chooses. God, we understand, we understood this a couple weeks ago. We looked at God's omniscience, how God knows all things. So we know that God knows past, God knows present, God knows future. And so that's simply what, what we're talking about with foreknowledge, is that God knows all things. And God chooses. 
Okay, now, I know this is a term. Uh, some of you, your, your blood's starting to boil a little bit. Where's he going with this? This idea of foreknowledge is something that the church has argued about for 2,000 years. What does that mean? Does that mean, does that, mean that, that only God knows who's going to be a Christian and we have no say in it? Like, what does that word foreknowledge mean? Does that mean we don't have a choice about whether or not we can become a Christian or not? See, and while we have argued about this topic for the last 2,000 years, listen, the Bible, this topic is never argued. It's only celebrated. Celebrated because God chose us to become sons and daughters of God. Well, how, how would God know that? How would God know if I'm going to become a believer? Look, I don't understand it. Like, I, I, live in a, I live in a timelines piece. Like, I, I live today and tomorrow, and I've got a schedule and a timeline. But listen, God exists outside of time. Now, the emphasis about foreknowledge is it's all about God. It's not about us. It's God, the one who does the choosing, and I don't understand how it works. I just know that, that God chooses whom he wills and, and draws him to, to a relationship with him. Let me tell you how this works. See, many of you know I grew up and I was a Mormon in high school. And, and that's how I grew up. I was Mormon. In high school, I used to argue with the Christians all the time. And I'd always feel like if I could get the Christians angry, I'd win the battle. Like that's a win to me. And so I was exposed to the Bible. They would read the Bible to me and say, what about this and this? And listen, my heart never understood it. My heart never grasped it. In fact, I thought Christians were weird, especially pastors. And now I think about, man, 20 years later, man, the thing I'm most passionate about is teaching the Bible. I work for a church. Well, what happened? Did one day I just decide I, I, I like the Bible now? No. This was, this was something that God did. God opened my eyes. God softened my heart. God allowed me to understand and receive. This is, why, this is why there are people who come to church for years and they never understand it. They never get it. Until one day... God just drops the scales off their eyes. God opens their heart to receive the truth and to understand uh, what, what, what it's all about. Some of you, that's your story. You say, I was in church. I grew up in church. I heard this time and time and time and time again. Until finally God opened my eyes. God gave me understanding. Jesus said in John chapter 15, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's what I want you to understand, that God is the one who chooses. You know why it's important for us to understand? Because you and I, we're called to make disciples. We're called to share the gospel with people. But listen, if it's God's job to choose them and to draw them and to save them, doesn't it take the responsibility off of me? Like, doesn't it make you a little bit more free just to say, I'm going to share the gospel because it's God who does the saving. I just get to share the message. God does the work of the heart. God does the hard work. It's, it, it, it's all about God. It's not about Kevin. And that's how that process works in my own heart. So he says, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. And here's the next term. He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification. We've got another one of those religious theological terms. What does that word mean? Sanctification simply means to be set apart. It means to be used for a different purpose means the God who calls you, the God who loves you, he sets you apart for a different purpose than what you originally uh, were living for. Let me give you a picture of this. Again, 
looking at my family. Uh, we don't drink a lot of pop in our house. It's just one of those things. Uh, try and be healthy or I don't know. I don't know what it is. We just don't buy a lot of pop. But I did get uh, a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper. Now, we do have five kids. Uh, we do have three teenagers. Well, we have two teenagers and a preteen. And we have the two little kids that love Mountain Dew as well. And so I looked in the fridge the other day, and there are six Dr. Peppers and one Mountain Dew. And guess what I wanted? I wanted a Mountain Dew. But I was saving it for dinner. So you know what I did? I took that can out. I licked the top of it all over. Like slobbered it. Like, like it was stuck there. Like I wanted everybody to see this is dad's pop. Like I set that thing apart. Like, like my kid said, that's sanctified for dad. That's set apart for dad. No one else is going to, to, to use that. And this is what the spirit does. When the Spirit comes into your life, He sets you apart for a different purpose, a different reason, and begins to change you from the inside out. In fact, when we understand Christianity, Christianity is the only religion in the world, the only philosophy, the only belief system in existence that God calls us to live a life. Okay? He calls us to live this life and then says, you can't do it. He says, this is how I want you to live. And then he says, you and I, we can't live that life. And so God puts his spirit in us to live that life through us. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Where Jesus came and he showed us how to live that life. And then he went to the, to the cross and he died and he rose again to live that life in us and through us. And some of us, we say, well, we're striving to live the Christian life on our own. Listen, how's that going for you? How's that going for you? You know it's failing and you know it. Because we can't live the Christian life alone. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. To change us, to lead us, to guide us, to set us apart. To be who God has called us to be. The Spirit begins to change your way of thinking. Where all of a sudden all the old Kevin, the old dreams, the old aspirations I had, the Spirit redeems those and changes those. And all of a sudden I have these new passions, these new, new dreams and, and things in front of me. That's what the Holy Spirit does when it sanctifies us and sets us apart. It changes us from the inside out. So here he goes and he says, Elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit. And the next term, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. See, do you understand that it takes a life to cover your life? This is why the Christianity is often referred to as a bloody religion. Especially in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, every year you had to bring a lamb and offer that lamb as a sacrifice. And let me just be clear, like, that, 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 that sacrifice was basically an interest payment. It never fully covered all of your sins, but that, that, that lamb that you sacrificed every year and you spilled his blood in your place, it was a, a, an ability to recognize that we are a sinner in need of God's grace. And then one day, God sent the Lamb of God, his son Jesus Christ, to come and sacrifice his life once and for all. Sacrifice his life, his life for all that God created. And the moment that you and I, the moment that we surrender to God, God no longer sees the crummy old Kevin. He says, I see that you are covered. 
I see my son's blood on you. He has paid for you. It took a lot, but his blood covers you and has paid that penalty for your death. And you are now forgiven by the blood of Jesus. This is something that happens once when we place our faith in Jesus. And daily we recognize our our need for God and we walk in that forgiveness. And basically, here if you understand, if you just look at at verse 2, Peter just gave us the whole picture of what what salvation looks like. He gave us the whole picture of what salvation looks like. He says, he says, the foreknowledge of God, that's the Father, God the Father does the choosing. He says, the sanctification of the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit sets us apart and changes us. And he says, he says, for the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, that through Jesus we are forgiven and daily made right. This is a triune God at work in salvation. The three different roles that we need to understand. This is what salvation looks like. God chooses us. Jesus, his blood forgives us. And the Holy Spirit sets us apart and sanctifies us. That is that process at work. It will say, well, this seems like a weird introduction to a a book. Why would he start out like this? Why would he start this book out dealing with this aspect of what salvation looks like? And I want us to understand that part of it is the identity of Peter. Because Peter writes out and says, Peter, an apostle of God. Listen, he wasn't an apostle because he was qualified. He wasn't an apostle because he lived such a great life. Because he was so righteous. In fact, this is probably one of the reasons why Peter becomes one of my favorite guys in the Bible. Because sure, there was times that Peter did great things and acknowledged and hit home runs for God. But man, Peter struck out so many times as well. Like his life and my life, it kind of alternates between perfect swan dives and belly flops, right? Like some days we're throwing game-winning touchdowns. And other days we're on the one-yard line and we throw interceptions with Marshawn Lynch waiting behind us. Like that is what our life looks like. We alternate back and forth between doing great things for God and completely dropping the ball and screwing things up. Maybe that's not your life. But that's the life that I've seen. And that's the life you see from Peter. In fact, you first see Peter, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Peter's a fisherman. That's what what his job was before he met Jesus. And he's been out fishing all night long. And Jesus comes out and says, hey, Peter, bring your boat over here. I'm going to get on your boat. And you go a little bit of the shore and let me preach to the people. So he's out there preaching. And Jesus gets done preaching and says, all right, Peter, drop your nets. Now this is where Peter's thinking, all right, Jesus, you're the teacher. I'm the fisherman. Like, I've got my expertise. I'm a good fisherman, Jesus. You're a teacher. You do the teaching. Let me do the fishing. He says, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long. The fish aren't biting right now. We know this. And so he kind of says, no, Jesus, I'm not going to do that. But then it's kind of like this, kind of like, you ever tell your boss no? Or you ever tell your parent no? You kind of see their nostrils begin to flare. You're like, okay, no, but. And that's what Peter does. He says, but. If you, at your word, you know, you say to drop the net, I'll drop the net. So Peter drops the net. And all of a sudden, this huge school of fish comes. So many fish that his nets are breaking. He's got to call the other boats. Hey, come and help me catch this fish. So here's Peter saying, yeah, Jesus, you said to do it this way, but I've got my way. Okay, I'll I'll learn that lesson. Matthew 16, another great story about Peter. 
Uh, Jesus is talking with the disciples, with the apostles, and, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? You know, we've been out teaching and preaching and, and doing these miracles. Who do people say that I am? And, and uh, they say, well, some people say that you're a good teacher. Some people say that you're a prophet. Jesus says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, out of all the disciples, he speaks up first and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, boom, bud, home run. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus says, that is the rock that I will build my church upon. Like that statement right there. He says, Peter, like you couldn't come up with it on your own. The Holy Spirit had to give that to you, had to reveal that to you because you couldn't come up with that on your own. So here's this great thing. Peter, man, he had this great thing that happened. You know what happened just a few moments later? Jesus starts saying, hey, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get beaten. And I'm going to get hung on a cross to die. And Peter stands up and says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop right there, Jesus. Like, we want to follow you, but we're not about this death thing. You are not going to die on a cross. You know what, you know what, you know what Jesus says to him? Okay, this is right after he just praised him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, like, listen, imagine yourself being the guy that tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. Like, that is the foundation of what Christianity is all about. Imagine you being the guy that tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. Like, come on, dude. Really? There's Peter dropping the ball. That's worse than an than a interception on the one-yard line. In fact, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he calls his disciples together, calls Peter and says, Hey, I'm overwhelmed because of what's going to happen. He says, Peter, disciples, would you guys just pray for me? And three times Jesus goes off and prays on his own and comes back and the disciples have fallen asleep. Peter dropped the ball again. In walks the guards. In walks the betrayer, betrayer Judas Iscariot. And Peter's like, okay, well, I just fell asleep three times. I'll do something now. And so again, he doesn't want Jesus to, to be arrested and all those other things. So Peter pulls out his sword and, and, and he swings it at the guy. And I don't know if he's going for his head. Chops off his ear. I hope he's not going for his head because he's got horrible aim. Chops off the guard's ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and says, no, Peter, that's not what we're doing here. And he heals the guy's ear. Puts it back on right there. Jesus is arrested and Peter's like, what am I going to do? Peter runs away. Peter runs away. And three times he gets recognized by a teenage girl. Think of, think of, think of a teenage girl. Think about Laura Stangus coming up. Hey, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. No, I recognize you. You're one of his disciples. You are, Peter. No, I'm not. Yes, Peter, I, 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 you were there. And he starts pulling out words that he hasn't used in years. Words that he learned when he was a sailor on a fishing boat. Words that I'm not sure I should repeat here today. He says, no, I'm not one of those disciples. See, this is Peter's life. Peter has these great things when he's doing great things for God. And then he falls flat on his face just as many times. Half the times he's having these great successes. Half the times he's having these horrible failures. In fact, when Jesus dies and is resurrected, 
In Mark chapter 16, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and says, go and tell the disciples to come. And Mary comes to Peter and says, Peter, come on. Jesus said to come. And Peter said, not me. Remember, I denied him three times. If you look at Mark chapter 16, Jesus actually calls the disciples and Peter by name. Bring me the disciples and bring me Peter. And Peter's brought before Jesus. And Jesus three times says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And three times Jesus says, feed my sheep. And here we see Peter falling beyond his face. And now he's restored before Jesus. Jesus restores him and brings him back into the place he's supposed to be. See, why is this so significant? Why are we spending all this time looking at Peter? Why are we spending this time looking at salvation and being chosen by God and sanctified by the Spirit and, and, and Jesus' blood forgiving us? Because this is a picture of salvation. This is God doing the choosing. This is the Spirit doing the sanctifying. This is salvation through Jesus' blood that he has forgiven. The emphasis is on God, not on Pete. Pete is able to stand before the people, to stand before us today, to be an apostle, to write a book of the Bible, not because he's so righteous, not because he's lived such a good life. We know he hasn't. He can stand before us because he has been, he has been uh, chosen by God. He has been sanctified by the Spirit, and he has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing of him. It is what God has done in him. And this is where I want us to understand the application for you and I. That much of what you and I would regard as, as disqualifications for serving in the body of Christ, much of what we look and say, there's no way that I could be useful for God because of what I have done. God in his sovereign wisdom and power and purpose, he turns our stumbling blocks into stepping stones that we could be used by him in kingdom service. This is what God does. This is what he's done through Peter. And this is what he does for us. Because it's so easy for us to, to, to look at our life and rehearse all the details of our lives. To look back over our days, to be confronted by our disappointments of the past. To look back and, and sit painfully aware of all of our failures. Of all the times that we dropped the ball, all the times that we failed God. That we can see what a screw up we've been in so many cases of our life. And we're kind of forced to conclude that there's no way that we can ever be useful to God. There's no way that God can love me. There's no way that God can save me. There's no way that God can use me. Listen, that is a terrible lie from Satan himself. That is the trick that our enemy uses to, to sideline people like you and I from being useful in the kingdom of God. Pete is the ultimate example He's the guy who's had more conversations, more contact, more intimacy with Jesus. And he's also failed more than any of us could ever fail. Again, you aren't the guy that tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. He is. And yet we've recounted his screw-ups. And yet, here he is today. An apostle of Jesus Christ, writing a letter to you and I to encourage us to live as faithful Christians in a world that is going to marginalize us. 
Peter's qualification for salvation, his qualification to be used by God, has nothing to do with his works. has everything to do with being chosen by God, being sanctified by the Spirit, and being cleansed by the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. And oh, I wish that we would just understand this. That every one of us in here would understand that, that, that God is in the business of people, of putting people like you and I with our screw-ups and our warts and all of our problems, God is in the business of redeeming people like you and I and using us on the front lines of Christian ministry to make a difference in our city, to make a difference in our world. That we have been chosen by God, sanctified in the Spirit, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and that becomes the ticket that we need for God to save us, Never got to use us. See, God did not redeem you. Listen, every one of you need to hear this. God did not redeem you for you to sit on the hard pews of the season's performance hall. God did not redeem you to instruct you so you learn more about Him. God is instructing you so He can use you in kingdom ministry, in helping people to know Christ and to make Christ known. And here's his conclusion. The end of verse 2, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How many of us today say that sounds really good right now? Grace multiplied, abundant grace, abundant mercy on me right now. Grace, getting what I don't deserve. Getting the grace of God that I don't deserve. Getting grace in my life. Getting more than I could ever imagine. That I could use an abundant load of that grace right now. Mercy, is that what we're looking for? Mercy in our life. In our peace. Peace in our life. Peace in our marriage. Peace in our work. Peace in our relationships. This tension being exiles and and the hardships that we face, that's what we want. We want that abundant load of peace in our lives. And listen, Peter is convinced, and this is the foundation for his whole message, that when we understand that we are chosen by God, we understand that we are not at home here. We are exiles. We understand what God has done for us, that he has sent his spirit to sanctify us and to change us from the inside out. That we understand what Jesus, uh, his blood has done for us. That it has forgiven us of our sins. Peter wants us to know and be convinced that grace and peace will be yours in abundance. What we understand is about God, not about us. Let's pray. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here today. God, I want to thank you just for the, the testimony of Peter. But God, you can take someone who has fallen so many times, fallen, God, grievously, fallen a ways that, God, that many of us won't even come close to. But God, you chose him. You sent your son to give his life on the cross to forgive him. And you sent your Holy Spirit to live in him, to sanctify him, to change him from the inside out. But God, you could use him to write a letter that would encourage us today. 
And God, if you can redeem someone like the life of Peter, then what, God, what could you do with a group like us? That if we would just allow you to move in our lives, allow your spirit to, to change us, to understand that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, to understand that we are chosen by you and loved by you, God, imagine what you could do with us. As we're trying to live as exiles in this world, that God, you would lead us and guide us and empower us to be used by you in tremendous ways. God, I pray right now that your grace and your peace would be abundant in this place right now. God, you know our hearts. You know those who need that today. So God, I pray your spirit right now would just pour out loads and loads of grace and peace in our hearts right now. God, help us to stop trying to live this Christian life on our own, but God, allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to change us.